Everything Sequel is brought to you by Slater's 5050 and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. Everyone goes a little crazy sometimes. This is the Psycho Edition. My name is Michael Schantz. With me is Tom Stewart, my beautiful co-host. Tom, say hello to the good people. Why don't you try putting me out, Mr. Wacko? <laughs> not just, well, a, we not talked just a great our... Dennis Franz line, also a great alternative title for the movie. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we we, we talked in our mini-sode about Dennis Franz, and uh, the reason we'll be talking about him today, listeners, is because today's episode is Psycho Two, the 1983 sequel to Alfred Hitchcock's classic 1960 film Psycho. This movie is directed by Richard Franklin of Cloak and Dagger fame, and a movie we'll probably get to at some point, FX Two. Mm. Yeah. Um... We, we're going to, I think, as this uh, series goes on, we're going to see at both actor, both in front and behind of the camera people who uh, whose careers are mainly based around sequels. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, like we said, this is a 1983 sequel. This movie only had a budget, Tom, of $5 million, but uh, both in the USA and worldwide, I guess it wasn't being going across uh, the whole world. It made uh, thirty-four million dollars. That's a profit. Well, yeah. I mean, we we already talked in the Minnesota about you know uh, three quarters of their work was done because they already had the set of the Bates Motel right. and the, the house, which Universal have been pimping in virtually every TV show or movie since Psycho. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's in Columbo's. It's in Six Million Dollar Man. It's in you know, literally everything you can think of. And so I'm sure that factored into their budgets, uh, budgetary considerations. Like, we could make a profit because we already have the set. We don't need to build anything. It's built. Exactly, And the right. more run down even... it is, the better. <laughs> I mean, it's been 22 years, right? Right. There's still tea in that cupboard but... from the 60s. Let's start with that. Like, I think this is one of uh, the better movie taglines that I remember, you know, I remember when this movie came out and uh, the tagline was, it's 22 years later and Norman Bates is coming home. Yeah, that's good. Even, even in itself, that's a little creepy and weird, right? Yeah. I'm, uh, well, it's a good tagline in that I'm excited to see that movie. That is not this movie. But <laughs> <laughs> he did come home 22 years later, Tom. It did happen. It is the movie. He he. Okay, he did. He did. <laughs> Maybe it's everything after that that I have a problem with. Okay, fine. So let's get into it, dear listeners. If you listened to our minisode, you know that Tom ranked these sequels three, two, four. I ranked them two, three, four. I think this is the best in the series, and I'm the only one here that says that this is a good movie. Tom thinks this is a bad movie, but Tom, guess who's on my side? Roger Ebert. No, Quentin Tarantino. He loves this movie, and he thinks this is better than the original Psycho. Now, I don't agree with him on that. <laughs> that's that's who you want your uh, that's who you want to get into bed with. <laughs> Someone who thinks this is better than the original. 
Okay, I, I admit, maybe I crawled a little too far out onto the branch, but all right, let me tell you what I think works about this movie. And you know what I th I thought we might fight about this, and it reminds me of our fight about the Jaws series because yeah. I ranked Jaws two as the best sequel. You ranked Jaws three as the best sequel. I like Jaws three the most out of the Jaws sequels. But I think Jaws 2 is a better made movie. It's got better writing, and more than anything, it's better directed. And that's, so objectively to me, it's a better movie. And that's how I feel about this movie. I think this movie is directed really well. And there's interesting stuff in this movie that not only stays sort of within the realm of, of you know, this movie's made in 1983 and the slasher films are out and it speaks to that. But I also think in the direction it harkens back to the original Psycho and those kind of um, 1950s, 1960s horror choices as a director. And I found it really interesting. And in that way, I felt this movie was the most uh, successful. The prosthetics are good. God damn it. <laughs> You're such an asshole. <laughs> I like I like the I like the, the, the fake Dennis Franz and the fake uh, Vera Miles. Um yeah, I mean, what what you're saying, what you're saying, I think in general is not necessarily a bad thing. We talked about how much we liked Die Hard Two get get hard. Die Hard Two Die Harder. Get harder. Um <laughs> Uh, I, we we got hard for Die Hard to get harder. There you go. Um, on exactly those grounds of you know it, it's it's got that backward looking side. It's got that forward looking side. Um, but uh, you know I don't I don't apart from, apart from some good prosthetics and a um, yeah some nice some well directed moments of violence that that you know did induce a few winces from me. Uh, I don't think it's going forward. I don't know what direction it's going in. I, I don't know what they hoped to achieve with this movie. Uh, well, what are you talking about? They, are you talking they, about... They, they kind of wanted something that couldn't be a good sequel to Psycho and also would present problems for whoever wanted to make the next sequel. <laughs> so are you referring specifically to the choices about, like, Mother Loomis coming back and, in a way, seeking revenge? Like, the actual plot or... Um, I'm taught uh, there's so many things. I mean, we, we can just go scene by scene and I'll, I'll, I'll air my grievances because <laughs> I have so, I have so many issues. All right. Well, start at the top. All right. God damn it. Okay. So it's the 1980s. This movie is in, co in color. Why are we beginning with the shower scene from Psycho? All right. I can't disagree. <laughs> I won't disagree with that at all. Of course you're right. But... And why are we suggesting that 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 both that Psycho ended there and we're now picking up? A lot happened. <laughs> There's a time lapse fade, which to me suggests that this is the last thing we saw. It ain't. It's just the most famous scene in the movie, right? Um, I mean, it's got to be the most. We we have a most of that shower scene given to us as the first scene of this movie, and this is the most brazen example yet we have of of reusing footage in a sequel. I think we might get worse. Which happens a lot in the series. You're, I mean, yeah. But right now, we're, this is the most egregious. The music 
in the uh, opening titles. It's interesting to me that not until we get to Psycho 4 is the original music used. They couldn't get permission, and they so they were coming up with their own, you know, just their own music. Yeah, and I kind of thought that I was... This was something that the composer of the music for Murder, She Wrote just kind of did as an afterthought. <laughs> they were like, okay, great on this Murder, She Wrote theme tune. Could you just knock out a quick something else that sounds a little bit like that? It's like, yeah, yeah, here you go. What are you going to use that for? Uh, never mind, psycho. <laughs> no. Yeah, but it sounds to me like, and we're in agreement, it's stupid to show the shower scene again. That's not smart. It's not necessary. It's 22 years later. Start 22 years later. But it sounds like you saw that shower scene and listened to the new score and thought, ah, fuck this movie. I'm done with it. <laughs> uh, no, I, I was, well. Come on. I, I, uh-huh. I it crossed my mind. <laughs> but uh, then seeing um, noted um, crime movie actor Robert Lozier playing a psychiatrist <laughs> didn't help. <laughs> I think every time I see Robert Loggia... In, in, in court with his yeah, entire yeah. chest exposed. But that's just, you know, <laughs> that's part and parcel of uh, having a movie in the 80s. You got you have to have Robert Loggia. Just be thankful he's not selling orange juice. <laughs> I mean... We, we beca- I mean, once we've had that... Um, uh, cold, uh, cold open from another movie again, harking back <laughs> right. to Superman two. Then we get into the courtroom where Norman Bates is being released after twenty two yeah. years. This is, and I again, I don't really know why he's being released. He's okay now, Tom. He's okay now. A liberal justice system letting people letting murderers out, and then once he gets back to the motel. Uh, Dr. Mafia saying, uh, Robert Loggia saying, Dr. Mafia. Oh, sorry, we couldn't afford a, a social worker for you. It's like, okay, so so Reagan's defunding's to blame or the liberal justice system? I, well, I'll, I'll admit that my second note from the movie was, actually, it's my first note watching the movie because I just in research I found that Tarantino loved it. But my first note from the movie is, what doctor sends a patient back to where they were abused and went insane? Yeah, I mean, when... <laughs> When he that doesn't sound like a sound decision. He walks through the threshold of his house and immediately starts hearing his mother's voice. At that point, right. I'm thinking that the judge's call may have been a little hasty. <laughs> but in Norman's defense, this whole the whole plot of this movie is, you know, a character and actor from the original movie gaslighting him. I mean, you know, she and her daughter are fucking with poor Norman. Yeah. That's right. Um, And it's a classic sequel inversion because in the process of uh, Vera Miles and and a character who we later find out is her daughter and hence the niece of Marion Crane from the original movie. Yeah. Um, We have this classic sequel. You know, uh, it would be a great chapter in the book we're going to write called called Inversions and Coincidences about sequels because it allows Vera Miles to dress up as Norman Bates' mother. So you're literally just flipping that idea. Uh And then you get um, Mary, the the daughter... Who also dresses as the mother. ...can look... um, look through the peephole at Norman. So, literally flipping the script on both those things. 
Beyond that, uh, I don't really understand why this is the this the, and and I I'm less I I've, I'm fine with that. It, that's okay. That revenge plot. That's that's all right. But that's not what the movie is ultimately about. That's where my problems with this movie really crystallize. That this is this is a, a movie that's set up to be about. Um, wait, is Norman committing these murders, or is someone threatening him and trying to frame him? Neither are true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this movie is not about either of these things. Well, the, the, I do have a note here that there's like. A, a you know maybe a total of seven big role characters in this movie, and four of them kill people. Mm. You know if you include the sh- a sheriff at the end, <laughs> who who kills someone. We, we, you know, we are going to have lot to talk about that sheriff. There's a lot of murderers in this movie, so. But again, doesn't bother me. Like, I, you know, I guess more than anything, what I really like about this movie is Richard Franklin's direction and how he sets mood in this movie. Hmm. He picks shots that actually make me feel unnerved and uncomfortable. There's lots... Yes, because they're the exact same shots that were in Psycho, <laughs> which is the best cinematic example of that feeling. <laughs> All right, I'll, you know, God damn it! <laughs> hey, hey, here we. I'll, I'll throw you a bone here. I'll throw you. A Please, bone here. now I feel like I need Dennis it. Dennis Franz turns up. Wait, say it again. We're getting to the bit of the movie where Dennis Franz turns. Yeah, up. that's true. So for I, this I do brief period before he is killed. I love this movie. I have a note here that just says simply. Dennis Franz. Actually, I didn't even write Dennis Franz. I put Sipowitz. I put. I put, I put is a great dirtbag. Like I just love him. And perfect hair. Oh yeah. That kind of uh, early, that kind of early nineties Frasier Crane curl <laughs> in his hair, in the back of his hair, is just. He should have been the psychiatrist. Yeah, right. He would have made a more convincing psychiatrist than Robert Lowe's. Well, if 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 the psychiatrist was were like helping Loomis and and Samuels, and and just to, just for the for the listeners' benefit, uh, Dennis Franz uh, is playing a character who is a state mental institution <laughs> appointed motel manager yeah which is not a job title that you hear that yeah i don't you know it's certainly it it kind of the the rabbit ears went up when i went oh so he got appointed did he interesting yeah and he's uh but his real job is to sort of um rent motel rooms to uh teenagers who want to have sex and get high yeah which and it seems to be running a real and it does yeah i was gonna say it does seem to be working and this this is another thing that bothers me about the movie. They make a big deal about, you know, the kids are there, they're, they're taking drugs and how that's lowered the moral standards. As if the 60s was free of free love and drugs. Right. This was not a chase time in American history. No. Compared to now. Yeah, you're right about that. I don't know. Tom, I maybe I just forgive this movie in its faults. I mean... You know, you're. I guess you're right in the sense of like most of it's stolen, but like these high crane shots um, from above yeah. um, that follow people. I I just think it it looked fantastic when um, 
well, we'll be jumping ahead a little bit, but the, the reveal of of um, Lila Crane Loomis of her dead body and the coal yeah. felt very much like a 50s horror shot of sort of kind of panning up and then coming over and then the, you know, the coals falling down and all of a sudden you see her sickly face within it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I thought I thought what I liked was this idea of Richard Franklin um, towing the line between 80s, what was now kind of established 80s horror movies, tropes and stuff from, you know, the 50s and 60s. And I really liked that in this movie. I, I I adore the 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 use of prosthetics in this movie. I think that's 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 an instance where that is something we're adjusting to modern day special effects right. in a way that someone like Hitchcock would be proud of and would have you know util. It, it's something that he definitely would have utilized in his filmmaking, and so that's where I feel that you know this this movie on the few occasions that it hits, it's normally to do with violence and gore and. You know, letting us know that, that, you know, we're coming... Psycho kind of created the slasher movie, and now we're coming in after all the big slasher movies have been made. Mm -hmm. And so where it does succeed is in sort of saying, you know, um, making what came before look tame. Right. In comparison. So when we see blood, it's gushing out the toilet, and it's bright red. It ain't chocolate sauce anymore. Right, yeah. You know, that they... the kind of their equivalent of the of the shower scene is a kind of stairway stabbing sequence uh-huh. where they you know they ge- genuinely induce winces in the in the way that the way that the the knife and the um, the hand of the victim the hand is kind right of like edited together is the most visceral way you can do it so I I you know I I'm I totally appreciate it on that on that level but that really is two or three moments of this two-hour movie yeah but i also felt like i i felt like richard franklin was able to create a mood and actually you know there are shots tilted on the side and i to me he was able to create he made me feel unsettled and okay. that's me what too. i want in a horror movie so me too i was i was unsettled by how much plagiarism there was in <laughs> yeah, this movie such a dick all right <laughs> clearly we disagree everyone Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and Tom and I, I'm sure, will be arguing more when we get back right after this. Stay tuned. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. Think of them as your beer Sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. 
And we're back. Tom and I are here discussing Psycho 2, the 1983, I guess you could say, hit. <laughs> <laughs> it did make money. <laughs> and I don't think the other sequels could say that. <laughs> so, I guess let me ask you, you could say hit. <laughs> I guess you could say this is a film. Yeah, right. Let me ask you this. One of my notes I have, the plot doesn't fully reveal itself until about an hour in. Yeah, absolutely. Where mother and daughter finally talk to each other about this little plan. Uh, I mean, can you hearken back to the first time you saw it? Like, what was what was your initial reaction or just how do you feel about that now? Um, Well, I've seen this a couple of times now. Uh, I I was comfortable with the sort of the this kind of a plot twist. Uh, it's you 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 start to see it coming. I think it's you know it's great to see Vera Miles again. It's great to see any of the original actors right uh, from from Psycho come back. And you know she's from Psycho. She's sort of one of. I mean, in a weird way, she we know more about what happened to her in the past 22 years than we do about Norman. She's had like this full, she's, she's married Sam. Right. Who, uh, you know, and, and by the end, at the end of Psycho, we don't know that they're going to get together. We have a hint that they will. Um, but he, they've married Sam, who was marrying Crane's lover, whom Norman murdered. Uh, Correct. Yeah. They, they married, had a daughter. He died. Had a daughter. Um, she spent her life tormenting her daughter about being, a. Uh, uh, like a stronger woman to, you know, to sort of prevent anything like that happened to her aunt happening to her again, which oddly is a is the is a subplot of the new Halloween movie. I was just gonna say, yeah, which is 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 very ha- new Halloween. New Halloween, yeah. So they so probably the probably they like this film. Apparently, I'm the only person who doesn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so so you know, I, I like it. So you 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 you. You're sort of like, okay, is history repeating itself on purpose? Or are they really just plagiarizing the original movie? Like, they want everything to be the same. And it's like, no, it's manufactured that way to get a rise out of Norman to make him try and kill them and get sent back to the institution. So that's that's kind of nice, but ultimately pointless because that, you know, that is not what ultimately the movie is about. Right. I was going to say, I really like, I I don't mind that, you know, I I like, like you said, that we have an original actor, an original character from the original movie. And I think what I'm often looking for is character motivation. Uh, We talked about in the Die, Die Hard series, like, do the bad guys have a really good motivation for what they're doing and why they're doing it? You know, four is probably the best, then three, two. Who knows why Colonel Stewart is doing what he's doing, but we love it anyway. Mm-hmm. But I really like it in this movie. It's it's very what what the character of Lila uh, Crane Loomis is doing is very motivated. Yeah, oh, 100 percent, the most motivated um, in the movie. But like you said, if if the movie hinges on that, in some ways the story should be hers. Yeah, it's a it's a red herring because she's, yeah, she's exactly. not in the movie. And spoiler alert, she gets killed off um, about what three quarters of the way through the movie, maybe a little later. Maybe even a little later. I mean, yeah, she she gets it late. But I mean, they, it's, I I like that she, you know she 
she returned to the franchise and they gave her a big gory send-off like the best prosthetics in the movie the best special effects in the movie so that's yeah great. by far and i'm so so happy for vera miles that she was able to get you know a scene um that is as uh vivid as the shower scene that um that her sister her on-screen sister got yeah absolutely um there's just like a couple i mean it's great to learn that she and sam got married that that's new information and it's it's interesting information but now he's dead so what's the what's the point <laughs> <laughs> and beyond, beyond that like they talk when they start to talk when her and mary who is her daughter and marion crane's niece start to talk about marion crane it's like is anyone going to mention the fact that your dad <laughs> was banging your aunt before he was married to your mother it feels like like you should really address well that. Okay, within the scope of the movie, Tom, how would you suggest that? Like, instead of having a... In that in that scene where they're talking about it, they're like, I mean, yeah, it took me a while to get over the fact that she was she was uh, Sam's, um, you know... Uh, uh-huh. If I'm going to give this movie some credit, I would say, thematically, that dynamic that they set up, the kind of mother-aunt dynamic... Pays off in the with the end of the movie with the completely added on storyline, which only happens in the last fifteen minutes of the movie. Do you want to tell our listeners what that added storyline is? Not really, but <laughs> um, I will. So, guess what? Norman's adopted. <laughs> Norman's real mother is still alive and runs a diner nearby. A diner in which there are always accidents and nobody gets served. But yeah. I, I, one of my very first notes from the movie, too, is he walks into this diner and um, oh, what's that character's name? Uh, what's his M- mother? Mrs. Spool. Spool. Thank you. So he sees Mrs. Spool. And one of the first things she says to he says, I'm Norman Bates. I'm supposed to be working here today. And she goes, oh, yeah. So you're, you're the new guy. And then she says, um, I think it's very Christian to forgive and forget. Yeah. Which, Which I just can... think is a grand line for, you know, somebody who has murdered. I don't know how many people and then sent away 22 years for it. And it's just like, Oh, you dear little thing, forgive and forget. It's like, who, who are we blaming here for Norman being out? It started off with the liberal justice system. Then it was Reagan for defunding social services. Now <laughs> it's Christian. It's just Christianity as a concept. It's getting blamed. I just like, I just like this kind of this kind of you know cute anon style conspiracy to put Norman Bates out in the world. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that so uh, and that Mrs. Spool is his uh, real, real mother, mother. Who his adoptive and, mother was his her sister. Right. So so Mrs. Bates, as she's now renamed, not mother anymore. Right. Is Norman's aunt. As far as I can work out. Right. Um, and, you know, they did the... I mean, this is historically, you know, credible that someone who wouldn't be able to raise their child would pass it on to a close family member. However, <laughs> this is a supreme retcon that seems to be only there for the purposes of kind of resetting the clock so that 
you know, once we introduce Mrs. Spool into the story as Norman's mother, he immediately kills her. Right. And then uh, stuffs her taxidermy style. Yeah, he misses. He he just he goes Mrs. Bates yeah. on her. And now she's she is. I mean, it, it just negates itself because now he's still got someone he's calling mother who's a stuffed corpse in his house and telling him to murder people. So we're back. We're back at the yeah, but the only the reason and we've gone this incredibly circuitous route to get there. I mean, what what he could he, <laughs> he could have literally just killed anyone, stuffed them, put a wig on them, and started calling them mother. You didn't need to do this adoption story. Well, this is what. The, but this is what. Yeah, he could have done that. But like, this is what I. You know, I. I still like that about this movie. I'm okay with it. It does not bother me. I like the kind of circular feel to it. Uh, you know, none of the, like, what happens in the last five minutes of this movie never would have happened if two characters didn't decide to gaslight him. It, I mean, well, according to the next two films, it never happened anyway, but yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get there when we get there, Tom. But I mean, it, it just save it. You know, it it, it makes me what it, I mean. Obviously, this makes me nostalgic for Psycho, but um, that's just a given. <laughs> it, it makes me nostalgic for that kind of certainty that we had at the end of Psycho, when you know he he's diagnosed. You know, this psychiatrist comes out and goes, here's the thing you need to know. Okay, let me come and tell you what it is. And the cop says, well, this happened and that happened. Here, the cops get it entirely wrong, and the rest is just a bunch of retcon nonsense that completely upends the whole franchise. Yeah, but I love how they get it wrong. You do? I love how they get it wrong. I think it's just del- delicious how everything kind of falls so, into place. it's just place the most contrived way to reset to the original. For basically, Nor- yeah, for Norman to end up killing his real mom. Um, There's literally so many other ways you could do that within the frame of this story. Doesn't bother me. Oh, you know you know what else really bothered me? Didn't bother me. Speaking of Norm- Norman's diagnosis. <laughs> go, go on. <laughs> <laughs> As I understand it, at the end of the first movie, and I'm not I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not medically trained, so, you know, take my opinions with a grain of salt. I always do. He's diagnosed as schizophrenic or someone with multiple personalities. Yes. Right, okay. So why is this movie treating him as some kind of recovering murder addict? <laughs> like he attends, like, a group called M.A., or something like like every well, time I he think sees it's a knife, more... he's like, "Gotta murder someone." I'm pretty <laughs> sure that is not how schizophrenia works. It doesn't no. mean you're physically, viscerally addicted to murdering people. So, I think the multiple personality thing, as I as as I think of the original movie, was really there was just one other dominant personality, and it was that of his mother. Yeah. And in this movie, it seems to be, Norman, so long as we can agree your mom's dead, then you don't have to be your mom. And if you don't have to be your mom, you don't have to kill people. And that is at play. So, you know, I get what you're saying, but... 
I think I think you've done far more work in thinking that through than the screenwriters of this movie ever did. <laughs> well, I think I was just about to say I think they did as much as necessary vis-a-vis like a 1980s movie. <laughs> you know, we we ask less of a movie made in 1983. Yeah, I just this this idea. I that, think you know, he has the murder shakes. Is just it's just <laughs> the murder shakes. It's really sort of see, it's but like look to people who suffer for these conditions and and murderers who are like, no, that's not what being a murderer is like at all. Uh, well, far be it from me to keep you from defending the poor murderers. Well, exactly. All but... I do, and I, well, something that I don't think anyone's considered, which I think might be a huge factor in his mental illness, is how much bread he eats. <laughs> I think I don't think you can keep healthy and trim on an all-carb diet at fifty years old. Well, he is trim. He looks really good. I did wonder he, at several points. I wonder whether, and as well as you know, we we have the set. Let's use it. Whether another motivation was ah, oh, Anthony Perkins hasn't aged much. He bring him back. Yeah, he looks the same. Pretty, much, I mean, physically, you know, he looks the same with a little bit. You know, he he doesn't really look like he's aged at all. Right. So it would still work. I think. I think that's a big factor behind this. Interesting, but um, but uh, all uh, right, he wouldn't be able to sustain that figure on, on uh, uh, an all bread diet. I can tell you for a fact. <laughs> right, <laughs> it doesn't work. It definitely does not work. Yeah. All right. In defense of the movie, I'll just say once again: the murder shakes and everything related to murder shakes still feels. Like it's part of the gaslighting because there's two people behind him kind of his mind cracking a little bit. So to me, it's not like, oh, I see a knife. I've got a I got a myself a murder shake here. But did they ever say it's... that they came in the house in advance and put sandwiches and milk and a knife in places that would trigger him? Do they say that at any point? No, they don't say it, but I mean, where else are you going to put a kitchen knife other than in the no, fucking kitchen? No, they don't give I mean, us give that information, but, you know. <laughs> I, like, you mean you wanted a conversation where Mama Loomis is like, let's put that murder knife under the couch. She's like, what? That's ridiculous. <laughs> could, put it in the kitchen. Say, she'd just say, we, we can just keep gaslighting him until he cracks like we did with putting the big knife in the drawer. <laughs> That's a great line of dialogue. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I I can't disagree that that's pretty magical. I think all right. Oh god, yeah, go on. Oh, I was just gonna say, let's take one more quick okay, break, good. and then we'll we'll come back and we'll yeah we'll finish out Psycho Two right after this. <laughs> Stay tuned, everybody. <laughs> People, we're living in strange times. We know that, don't we? Of course we do. People don't even know what to do with themselves. We're getting stir-crazy. Well, get outside and get yourself some great food, I say. You need to go to Slater's 5050 and Point Loma's Liberty Station. It's time to treat yourself to booze, to beer, to burgers, and more. They have their full menu, people. 
their full menu, I say. How many restaurants do you know that are doing that? Most places are doing a quarter of their menu, probably. Some might be doing a half. Maybe a few have got three quarters of a menu. But Slater's 50-50 has their full menu, including their signature 50-50 patty. It's half ground beef. It's half ground bacon. It's 100% delicious. What more can you possibly ask? Worried about social distancing? Well, it is in place, people. Tables are separated, and the staff will always be seen wearing masks. You're out of excuses. Get off your keister and come on down to Liberty Station's own Slater's 50-50. Indoor dining available. Outdoor dining available. Bring the family. Bring your dog. Come enjoy the normal again. Good day to you. I said good day. And we're back. Tom and I are here talking about Psycho 2. Tom, earlier you decided to throw me a bone because we were arguing and you decided to, you know, give me a little something about something you liked about this movie. I'll give you the same bone, something I really didn't like about this movie. It is really easy to clean up murders, not just in this movie, but in this whole series. Um, you know what? I, I, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> We've gone into a parallel reality. Um, <laughs> of course we have. Like, well, you know, what else could possibly happen? You don't find it when they kill the boy. I mean, that is a messy. Oh, it's pretty established that he, he is fucked the up best murder, murder cleaner upper in whatever this town is. <laughs> right? I mean, we've we've seen yeah, a but lot he didn't... Of, of him disposing of bodies and that's what he does. I mean... Yeah, but, you know, I mean, even into number four, he's still dumping bodies in that fucking swamp. <laughs> I, you know, I, yeah, we'll get there, but I'm just sort of like, man, pick a new place, jackass. You know, it's like... Uh... Old habits die hard. But we, like you said earlier, we have some great death scenes. We got Dennis Franz cut to the face. We've got knives going through mouths and out through the back of a neck. And yeah, into people's hands. It's great. So, but, you know, like Mama Loomis, she, get, she, she gets it through the mouth, mm. out the back of the neck. And five minutes later, people are coming down into that fruit cellar. And there's no blood, and she's neatly packed inside of the coal. Riddle me that, Batman. I don't even know who committed that murder. Who committed? Was it Mrs. Spool? Spool. No, who committed? Spool. She did that? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> you know, the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in terms of... <laughs> well, they try to... They do try to... They do try to cover that, you know... Cover this. And she runs a diner, so, you know, cleaning sanitation is really her livelihood. Oh, you're just upsetting me now. You fucking... <laughs> I'm using your logic against you. Get used to it. <laughs> she works at a diner. What do you think... What do you think, uh, as someone who likes the movie, what do you think of um, Anthony Perkins here? I think it's his best work in the sequels. Hmm. Well, I think his his uh his acting prowess is dulled a little bit. Well, certainly since the first one, 
And I was going to say I think this is his best acting in the sequels, but that I might not that might not be true. Strange No, it's not. Strangely enough, I think his actual best acting might be in 4. Uh yeah, I mean that's an entirely different character, but um sure. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, yeah. I just I, you know, I thought I, I, But obviously you, know, you have a different thing. thought, so what what uh, yeah, I just thought I thought he he was looking a little bit. Uh, he he looks perfect, but his performance is a little. Uh, there's a few choices that I didn't appreciate. Well, I give mean, me a specific example. I don't example. him stuttering as much as he uh, in the original movie. He stutters a lot in this movie. I I did. There was a note I saw. What does he say? What's the line he has when he's first in the kitchen with Mary? Cutlery. Blood. Oh, God. Mother blood. No, it's it's when he says cutlery. He, he, they were doing a table read, and he said, um, so I haven't had any time to get any cutlery or anything. And it was an accident. He just, he... He just stumbled over the word in the in, in the table read. And the director, Richard Franklin, liked it so much, he said, keep that in the movie. And I actually like that particular moment. But that's the only stutter I can... that's visually sticks out to me, like, that I remember him... I, I made a note of it happening a lot. As if... As, as if... And sequels love to pull this shit. As if... He was always a stutterer. Like... Like, if you hadn't seen the first right. movie. They also pull the same shit with the sheriff um, in this movie. The sheriff is introduced in a way that makes you think he is a character in the original movie, when indeed right, he is yeah. not. He said, I investigated this crime the first time it happened, but you weren't in no, the he just says he was No, he just says he was a deputy at the time, if I, if I remember correctly. It, it is, it's, it's like the, you know, remember another 48 hours and how, having not seen the original, I thought all these characters must have been in the original because of the way they were introduced. <laughs> I, I thought exactly the same here. To the fact where I went on IMDb and I went, is he like one of the cops in the background? And this isn't, you know, this is like, he's like Vera Miles or Anthony Perkins in that they're bringing back original cast members. No, he was not. Right. And that sequel knew what they were doing. <laughs> All right. Putting aside the cop, though, and talking about the stuttering and that kind of thing, Tom, I will still revert back to this is motivated because this man is being gaslit by these two women. They are manipulating him through psychology into questioning his own sanity. That's what this movie is really about. Not only that, that's the feeling of the movie. That's the feeling that Richard Franklin gets for me. And by the end, where you're watching, and we haven't even talked about Meg Tilly, Meg Tilly dressed up as Mama Bates, (laughs) trying to get him off the phone. Like, I am deeply unnerved and freaked out. Yeah, and and this is... this is another moment, I mean, in, I think, Friday the 13th Part 4, they they pull the same move where Corey Feldman dresses up as Jason and uh-huh. someone else dresses as his mother to try and, like... Die, 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 they do, die, they do a little, die, They do a little play to try and get him to snap out of his psychosis. Um, now, you can't go bringing up Friday the 13th. You didn't want to go there. There were too many movies, so... <laughs> it's just, you know, it's... Uh, um, 
So all I'm saying is it all still feels motivated to the original idea behind this movie, all your problems with it, that this man's supposed to be questioning his own sanity based on what's happening to him. And it is happening to him by two other, you know, two other characters are completely fucking with him. Well, three, if you count Mrs. Spool. Because she's true. the one writing the notes. She, she? <laughs> she the whole time. No, no. I think Mary's writing the what? notes. No, absolutely. Then, what is, then, Mary... why, then why is it in the diner? Mary's in the diner. So, it, But it could be either. Yeah, but Mary's in the house more, and he finds notes in the house. So I, you think it's Mrs. Spool. I think it's Mary. I'll give you the first note in the diner. Could be Spool. Yeah. But Spool isn't trying to fuck with his sanity. The only people trying to fuck with his sanity are Mary and Lila, mom and daughter. And so, and because the notes are trying to unnerve him and make him crazy, I think the notes are all from those two people. Okay. I mean... <laughs> Victory! Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm just... I'm, concede, I'm conceding the point that the film is so badly written that that is equally <laughs> possible as what I just said. Also, speaking uh. of bad writing, wouldn't Norman's adoption have come up in the 20 years of institutional therapy he's just undergone? Well... Yeah, I, and for me also, it's it's not a huge leap to find out that Marion Crane's maiden name was Spool. What? Right? What's... Well, because she's... So, from the original movie. It is? Her name is they Spool? Were... It ha- would have to be. I don't know what you're talking about right now, but I'm really scared. Well, they're sisters. Huh? Mrs. Yes. Spool is the sister of... No, not... The... Marion. She's sister of Mrs. Bates. Oh, yeah, you're right. Jesus Sorry. Christ, Sorry. Michael, don't do that to me. So... <laughs> you know what? <laughs> if that... If okay, that I been... lost... I lost the thread in my own if sanity defense. True, Sorry. This movie really affected you. Yeah, 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 yeah. See? Do you were see you, why this movie's so good? Me? <laughs> <laughs> it works. Oh my god. So, yes, yeah, sorry. Bates was a spool. Well, on on the other hand, you've just blown And the, that's not on the other and hand, so my blown your picture sequel there. i probably did my my only my only point was that it's not a huge leap for the authorities to figure out that mrs bates was a spool hey there's a spool working in the diner you know i mean well uh, i mean this is you know this this is something that the the next film effectively answers because the sheriff in the town is the dumbest police officer in cinema history. Probably. So it's not a big leap to think that he would miss something. Should we like leave that. it there? Yeah, let's 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 leave it there before we get so con- <laughs> I, I was on the verge of, of thinking like maybe Tarantino's right. Maybe this is the like the most amazing storytelling ever. <laughs> and I've just like missed ninety percent of it. 
<laughs> no, it just turned out I had a brain fart, but I still defend this movie. I think this movie is fucking cool. You, you know why I was so eager to believe you? Tell me. <laughs> because that would not be out of place. That would not be out of place <laughs> as yet another plot twist in this movie. Well, stay tuned, everybody. Maybe it'll show up in a pitch a sequel at the end of this series. Uh, we're going to leave it there for now. That's it for Psycho 2. Tom and I vehemently disagree. You let us know how you feel. Find us on uh, Facebook. Find us on Twitter or find us on Instagram. Send us an email to everythingsequel at Gmail. And uh, we'll, we'll, we might read your response online. All right. Take care, Tom. Until next time. Re, 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 re.